Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on Tuesday. We've got to talk some USC Trojan football. Spring football was going to start today, but no, we get some rain in Southern California. They postponed the first day of spring football to Wednesday. So March 11th, Wednesday, will actually be the first day of spring football, but that gives us one extra day to give a little preview of what's going on. So we have Dan Weber in studio. I mean, we have Dan Weber on the line, Keely, you're in studio, and we're going to talk about some USC Trojan football this week, what we expect. You guys have sent in a lot of questions. We've got voicemails, text, emails, all of that. So we're going to get to all of your questions heading into spring football. Highly anticipated, I would say, with six new coaches and different schemes. So we're going to really kind of dive into what we're expecting to see out there on Howard Jones Field. If you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the email address, or if you'd rather call or text us, you can do that too, 424-254-9141 is the number. Call, leave us a voicemail, try to keep it brief, or you can send us a text. We haven't got as many texts lately, so send us a text, 424-254-9141. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeart, anywhere you can subscribe to podcasts, we should be there. And if if they have a little option to give us some love and a review or a rating, we do appreciate that. It helps grow the show out there. Leave us a five-star something. Tell us why you like us. Maybe a little something we can do better, and we'll work on that as well. And like I said, we got Keely Yor in studio. She's right here braving the rain coming down to the South Bay. What's up, Keely? Hello, hello. Glad to be here on a gloomy, rainy day. A little gloomy, but you know mm-hmm. it's it's a good a good podcasting weather. You know we can do this at our studio yeah, it's here. True. It's not too bad. We can see the rain outside, and we got Dan Weber on the line. Hello, Dan. Hey, not too bad out here in Orange County. Uh, well, it's off and on, but uh, I think the thing that scared him away was uh, the weather reports that I kept seeing that added the word flooding to uh, the other uh, rain parts of it. You know, whereas this was the one day that they also said. Uh, potential flooding. So I think that may have that may have caused practice to to get moved back a day. Oh yeah, you know, and it's weird because I I'm not sure that they really know. I mean, it was like two days ago they moved it. Like it could no. have easily rained more on Wednesday than Tuesday, right? Like I don't know. There's also some lightning. I saw some lightning warnings for oh. Thursday, so I don't know what they're going to do with that, considering that requires actual action of them stopping practice. So. Yeah. It will be interesting to see how they handle this going forward. We will see. Um, before we jump into everything, I want to thank our great sponsor, Trader Joe's. Especially when you do it early in the month and that fearless flyer comes out. You can check it out on their website, TraderJoe's.com. Uh, the March flyer is out. Now, there's some things on there that aren't, not, you know, maybe up my, you know, my alley, like vegan ranch dip. I'm not much of a vegan vegetarian guy, but I've tried some things. They're pretty good. But then I look to the soft-baked peanut butter chocolate chip cookies. And now that boom, seems like Ryan. I gravitate him. towards that. Even though I've given up sweets for life, that's something I could pick up and then you have it as a treat, you know, as soon as Easter comes around. So okay. I think I might have to pick those up. I had them before. They're really, really good. So uh, I make sure you check out the Fearless Flyer on TraderJoe's.com and find what you like. It kind of just gives me ideas. 
because it's, it's funny you go to like a party at someone's house and you're like oh well these are really good what are these oh we got them at trader joe's i'm like where did you find these like it's sometimes you don't know like they're i go through all the aisles but then you like miss things that you might like there's some hidden gems for sure yeah for sure so make sure you check it out thanks again uh to trader joe's and thanks to dan weber for being on the line dan we were supposed to go to practice today we don't get to go to practice today we're gonna go tomorrow <laughs> actually i'm not gonna go tomorrow because i'm speaking at a trojan club thing down in san diego so that kind of screws my uh evening out but i'm gonna be emceeing for an event where jake olson is the uh the uh, guest of honor. So that should be fun, but I won't be able to see the first practice now, but is there something in particular, Dan, or a couple things that you really looking forward to seeing uh, when spring starts? Well, I, I like the idea that they cancel, they or postponed the first practice when they thought, you know, they were really going to get rained out and what's the heck of going out. I don't know that that in past years that might've happened. And I thought that like, that's like a seriousness about, you know, we're going to do things uh, differently. I mean, that's all of our hopes. Uh, so so I, I kind of like that, actually. Um, and as uh, Coach Orlando said, uh, he doesn't count the first two practices as practices anyway, since they're not in pads. So uh, the sooner they get to Saturday, uh, the better. So if they go Wednesday, Thursday, I think that's, uh, that's fine. Uh, I guess the one thing we want to know is, you know, how healthy are people? We, you know, we really didn't get great answers, uh, and I know Coach Harrell said that was, you know, Clay's, uh, you know, it was above his pay grade to talk about the quarterbacks, for example, you know, Keaton Slovis's elbow or uh, the rehab that uh, JT Daniels has been doing that we've been getting good reports on, but it isn't that, you know, it isn't that far removed from September on his uh, ACL surgery. Uh, there are other guys, I think, uh, you know, uh, when he was asked, Graham was asked about, uh, the run game, what, what has to happen to, to get it better? Uh, he said, we got to get healthy. And then you realize, you know, guys are still, uh, and he wasn't able to tell us how many guys were going to be able to, able to practice. And then, you know, we find out that Amon Ra with that, uh, 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 uh sports hernia surgery, he isn't going to be able to practice, and uh, and and so it, I think that was a surprise. Uh, just to maybe the numbers that that might not be able to be back, and uh, Jordan Iosefa. Uh, uh, so uh, I think I, I guess one of the things you want to go is and look at how how does everybody look? You know, what what shape are they in, and how much uh, you know are the receivers going to get the you know cast from from Keaton and, and JT and all of that kind of thing. So, so I think that'll be uh, the first thing. I think the second thing you'll look at is all the new coaches and how, how different is this? How much different is the coaching uh, and, you know, different drills, different expectations, uh, different pressure, uh, you know, how do they handle not practicing in pads? Do they still, are they still able to do football related things rather than just kind of, you know, looking like a basketball practice out there. So, uh, uh, you know, I think there are going to be plenty to look at uh, tomorrow and, and Thursday. But uh, I think, you know, we'll just have to kind of see how are they – how are things changed? I think Clay has always wanted stability and uh, repeating what they, they kind of are comfortable doing. I'll be really interested in how does the practice – how does it change? How much input – are the new coaches going to have 
in how they do things. And uh, I think we'll, we'll see some of that, obviously, I think Wednesday, Thursday. And, and I'm looking forward to that. How about you, Keely? Anything? Uh... Pretty much the same thing. Obviously, the offensive line. Um, now that we know it's going to be who's the best five, it'll be interesting to see who jumps around, who switches positions and whatnot, just seeing how that works out. And like Dan sa- said, with Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, it's funny, the wide receiver group was kind of the one position group we were, we didn't even really preview much coming into this this camp. Like, oh, they got it down. We kind of know what's happening. But now without that veteran presence, I'm kind of curious who really steps up. Maybe a Brew McCoy, a Gary Bryan Jr., um, a Kyle Ford, and maybe Tyler Vaughns. You know, I feel like he's kind of slipped in the background a little bit with Michael Pittman and Amon Ross St. Brown kind of taking the spotlight. What happens with him in his final year of eligibility? So, Looking at that, obviously the new coaches, do they mean what they say? They came out, you know, really fiery last Tuesday. Do they live up to that? We shall see. So lots to look at this this spring camp. There is a lot. I'm going to watch more special teams than I've ever watched before. <laughs> count the minutes of how you know, what they do. I just, I've counted before and I will count again. Yeah, it's it's really just like what the structure of practice is. I, Harvey Hyde talked about this a little bit on our show yesterday. Just they need to do things differently. Like when when certain periods are run, where players work out on the field, just it needs to look different. You know, yeah. you've had, you know, pretty much every coach is gone over the last two years, right? Like a, there's really no one left. Um, they got to do it differently than what they were doing before. And I think just to, for the players' sake, to mix things up, um, you know, not doing everything all at once or whatever it was, just do things differently. How they blow the horns, anything, just change it up. Because the more that you do it, like the way you used to do it, the more familiar it is. I think you don't get as much out of the new stuff. So I want to see it. I want to go into practice feeling like this just looks different than from before. Yeah, I think players got on cruise control a little bit. They knew how practice was going to go every single moment. And it just, you know, I, I think changing up on them, uh, you know, surprising them. Yeah. Uh, doing things on the spur of the moment just differently and making them react and all of that. Uh, you know, I, I know if you're having chaos, which maybe, you know, Clay was talking about a few years ago and you want to calm things down and all that, you got to get uh, as regular as possible. But I don't know that you got to keep that going for year after year after year after year. I, I just think the guy's got a little stale uh, at practice. And uh, I think uh, games, uh, you know, football changes in a heartbeat. And I, I, I would like to see some of that in practice where they don't know what's coming. And then they're asked to re- react to it and respond to it. And I think I, I'd like to see some of that. A couple other news and notes going into spring football. You know, having Daniel Amatorbebe coming back. Uh, got a lot of senior leadership in that tight end group. Um, seeing what we got for the quarterbacks might see a little bit more. JT Daniels than we expected might see a little less Keaton Slovis than we expected probably helps with Matt Fink, uh, even more, um, Dan, any thoughts on any of those topics? Yeah, I, I, I did. I will be interested to see. Uh, it surprises me a little bit that if, uh, what Keaton had was an elbow strain that, that they're going to kind of have him on a pitch count. And I don't know how, how significant that is that, uh, you know, that they're, they're going to make sure he doesn't over overstrain it again. That, that, that surprises me a little bit. And, uh, you know, I know it's only a, a couple of months, but, uh, 
And then JT, how much can he incorporate running with throwing? Uh, you know, how much is it just going to be throwing, uh, you know, from a standstill and how much can he be, uh, how much can he be moving around? And then with, uh, with Matt, uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's nice to have a grad student who, who beat Utah in his start, you know, in one of his starts last year. And I just think it's amazing when you think about it. I don't know that I can ever remember a team coming back into a season where all three quarterbacks started the previous year and all three of them won games and all three of them, you know, performed at a, at a fairly high level. I mean, I think Ohio state, when they won one of their championships, had a run of three quarterbacks, all of whom could and did start. And they just kept winning no matter who, who, who did it. And that was in one season. Uh, but to have all those guys come back, uh, and, and that's kind of amazing when you think about. And I know Graham said, well, we've only got, you know, there's only three on, on scholarship, actually. But, uh, but I don't know that I've ever recalled having a situation where you've got three guys you could, you know, say from the past year were starting quarterbacks. Or the two of them, JT last year and, and Keaton this year, are on the Heisman you know, watch this. That's, uh, again, kind of crazy. Yeah. There was a, a video that came out also, uh, from USC athletics where it's, uh, Graham Harrell and Keaton Slovis, like writing on a whiteboard. How well do you know each other? It was really fun, like a three minute video and stuff. And when I, I wrote that piece about Keaton Slovis, you know, could he win the Heisman trophy? Um, there's a lot of people coming back. Well, what about JT Daniels, JT Daniels? It's just like every impression we've got is that I mean, this is Keaton Slovis's team going forward. If something, unless he gets hurt, and we just don't know how much JT Daniels we're even going to see. If he was fully healthy this spring and could compete all spring, all summer, and all fall, then I think there'd be a, a better chance. But I mean, that that video, just watching them too, it doesn't seem like there's any question who who's running the offense at this point. Um, so if he's on a pitch count, I don't think it matters all that much this spring. They will, you know. It's like basically three practices and the whole the whole offense is installed like we saw last spring. But this will be a, a much better opportunity for Slovis, who has tons of experience under his belt now. And and Graham Harrell said that's the one thing you can't teach. You, experience is there. Um, I, I think it's going to be a really good spring for him. You know, even though if, even if he's a little bit limited uh, at times, but that's that's the thing you're going to want to watch. And I, I'd love to see J T. Daniels, you know, get some reps and stuff, but. I I just ha it's a hard for me to picture a scenario that Keaton Slovis isn't the guy going forward. Yeah, I think JT though. I like what I've heard where he's basically said, you know, I beat him out last year, and I'm going to come back and beat him out this year. And I don't think that will happen until fall camp uh, in terms of the competition. Uh, but I like the idea of having, you know, a, a young guy with all the uh, experience uh, Keaton got last year and all the all the great stuff he did, getting pushed by a guy who, you know, came into USC with all the all the good things that everybody who had ever had any dealings with uh, JT Daniels talks about uh, and with his, you know, special, you know, arm talent and all that. I just think nothing but good can can happen, you know, with that. Now, JT's probably on on, uh, you know, uh, scheduled to graduate after next year, uh, three years. And, you know, with his, you know, losing last year, you know, he basically just a sophomore and, um, he could, uh, 
you know, grad transfer out, you know, somewhere else for two full years. So, uh, you know, I, so I think he's going to test himself and, and see how far he can push himself next year. And even, and, you know, behind that, you got, you got Matt Fink, uh, who's such a good influence on this team and, you know, such a, you know, kind of a leader that, you know, everybody looks up to. I, I, I really look forward to, you know, how that's going to play out. And I know people, you know, can look at that and say, oh, that's not going to work or, or JT is not going to handle that well or whatever. I, I don't, I don't see that. I think that it could be handled really positively. I'd like to see USC run a ton of offense. I'd, I'd like to see him run as much tempo as they possibly could and get the plays up to, you know, an average 85, 90 a game, which would mean basically, you know, going tempo all the time with all the receivers they've got. And, uh, you know, all the running backs and all the quarterbacks, why not? And the more plays you run, the more chance you got guys to get into the into the games and into the system and, and get on the field. And, and I just think uh, I'd like to see USC go that direction where you know, they're not standing there looking at the sideline to get a call, but they're just coming up play after play. And with guys that have the experience their quarterbacks they have now, I think they ought to be able to do that and just put – just tons of pressure on uh, on opponents to, you know, tire them out. By the time you get to the fourth quarter, you're pushing and they're, uh, you know, they're sucking wind. And that's uh, that's that's where I'd like to see it. So so I think that could be a real positive thing. All right. Keely, should we roll into some questions? Let's roll into it. And before we do, I just want to give a PSA. I really love all the questions. I love the thought that people put into it, but you can't have half-page novels <laughs> sent into the show. I'm probably going to have to paraphrase it. I can't read it word for word, um, but thank you for your, your questions. We appreciate it. Just Keely hating on the listeners? No, Man, what... just, just a little self-edit maybe. I did it. Yeah. We did. So if you want to post something that long, the message boards are great. Go to uscfootball.com. Go to the message boards. Peristyle. If you remember, it's the busiest place around. It's the biggest, the long, you know, the it's been around the longest. It's a great message board. If you if you're a freebie and you don't want to subscribe, the fight on forum is great too. You can go in there and post there. People will comment on your post, but you can't write, you know, a thousand words and expect us to read it on it. This is a podcast. This is like radio. We're not going to read a thousand word email. So sorry mm-hmm. about that. Yep. Sorry, guys. Because we got like four of them this time. Yeah, this week, I would. So. Keely will not though. So that's Ryan why. Abraham. <laughs> Always start in trouble. Sorry, sorry. Uh, first off, let's start with Eric in Duck Country, who says, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, how do you think players will respond to physical practices? Will there be any pushback? Thanks, Eric in Duck Country. No, I think they've want, they've wanted it, although I don't know that they know exactly, uh, you know, what's involved here. Let's face it, each of these guys would probably, you know, the best guy or close to the best guy in their high school team. And it probably, you know, it wasn't that easy to push them to the limit. And USC, I think they want them to push back because I think they want them. I mean, certainly the new coaches talking about what they want to do. Todd Orlando, you know, expressed they want to take them to dark places and and push them, put them in a place where they have to fight back and where they have to, you know, get through it and figure out how to how to do that. I don't think we saw many dark places last year other than on Saturdays sometimes uh, unfortunately they'd like the dark places to happen at practice uh, and 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 have guys have to deal with that uh, so so I kind of think they want them to go into a place where they go oh my god what do we got ourselves into and then figure out how do I get through this 
and then develop the kind of confidence so when that happens in a game, you know, hey, we can handle this. It was worse than practice. And if there was one thing that sustained Pete Carroll's teams, it was that sense, rightly or wrongly, they believed it, that they handled much more in practice than they ever were going to have to handle in a game against better players. They believed it. They lived it. And that confidence really, I, I think, stood them in good stead. That, I think that's what has to happen with these guys. Yeah, I don't think we'd see, you know, with a new coaching change, there's always going to be players that get frustrated or feel like they're not where they want to be on the depth chart. But I think this will be a welcome change. And I don't think we'll really see pushback. I think these players wanted a change. And I think physicality was needed. And so you sometimes you don't always want the things that you need. Right. But in the long run, I think they will appreciate the change. After a while, like if you're if your babysitter lets you eat cake and cookies for dinner every night, like you're kind of like I need some after, protein. Like after a while, like I, can I just have some chicken nuggets or something or a steak <laughs> yeah. or whatever? Like yeah. So I mean, the kids when the kids start craving discipline, then you know it's gone on too long. So I think that I think Keely's right. There might be a few that are like, hey, I really like the way it was before. I don't like this. I got to hit stuff, but. For the most part, the guys that really want to be there, I think a lot of them were, would crave this. Well, I think the other part of that is if you have competitive practices, uh, the only way you can move up, the only way you can beat somebody out is if you practice, you know, like you're in games. And, you you know, the more you have stand around, patty cake, you know, walk through type practices, how do you beat anybody out? I mean, you really don't. So I think the, you know, the more competitive they are in practice, uh, the better it is for everybody because, you know, you either have to prove yourself and convince yourself you're the guy uh, and show the coaches or you get a chance to beat out that guy. And I, I think that's one of the, the worst things about having non-competitive practices is everybody kind of gets, you know, stalemated and, you know, the we talked, they talked a lot last year. They weren't going to release the depth chart until Friday because they were going to be, they weren't competitive at all. They didn't need to hold off till Friday to release the depth chart. I mean, everybody knew on Monday what the depth chart was going to be. Uh, the theory there is good, but you have to make it work in practice. And you can only do that in practice when you go hard and you compete and you're physical. And uh, so that could be a real you know, benefit from this uh, for the guys that maybe think they're getting overlooked a little bit. I mean, there are a lot of guys on defense. I don't think we knew for sure who could play or should play because we didn't really get to see them do enough in practice uh, when we were able to watch practice. Uh, and uh, I think that, that will really help uh, the guys on defense. I mean, there are a lot of bodies and a lot of athletes and you think, oh, I think that guy can play. But he's got to get a chance to in practice to show what he can do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have a question from Stephen Poway who says, Hi, Dan, Ryan, and Keeley. I'm excited to learn that the new defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando, wants to bring back tackling and a hard-hitting mentality to the defense, particularly during practices. At the same time, I can't help but wonder if part of last year's injury bug that hit the University of Texas program, and ironically was reportedly a contributor to Orlando's uh, being fired, was due to the same hard-hitting practices and that mentality. In other words, were they hitting too hard? Do you know what the source of those injuries were? And, and then he said, I know it can happen randomly during games, et cetera, as well. So this is just a question, not an allegation. But that's why I'm asking. Thanks, Steve and Poway. 
Uh, Steve, I don't know. I don't think we. I don't think anybody's done that that kind of research, and and uh, I think it's a good question. Um, I think you know, looking at USC last year and with all, all the injuries that USC got, I do think USC had the kind of the players had to kind of amp up things when they got the games because they hadn't tackled hadn't really been physical from one Saturday to the next Saturday. And I think I actually think that was a contributing factor. Not being physical in mm-hmm. practice was a contributing factor factor to the injuries. But, you know, you got to kind of suck it up. I think Nick uh, Saban lost his uh, top linebacker in, you know, one of the first couple of days of, uh, of padded practices last year. You know, you could. He, I saw him being interviewed after practice, and he was really shook up. It really, but he kind of said, "Look, you know, you got to practice like this. If you don't, you're not going to be that good anyway." So, uh, <clears throat> but I don't, I don't know that you could look in that direction. Look, for example, uh, Clemson practices really hard. Alabama practices really hard. You know, LSU practices really hard. Ohio State practices really, really hard. I, I think the teams that are in the place where USC says it wants to be practice really hard and physical and tackle. I know Coach Coach O <coughs> said, I, I think because their offense was going so well that maybe they stopped the full tackling uh, once they got into November. But I guarantee you they didn't go no pads in November. They just stopped tackling guys to the ground. And that's a decision I think you can make You know when you get there. But you don't want to make it in, you know, August or September uh, that you're not going to tackle guys to the ground. You just you just pretty much have to. And uh, you got to be smart about it. You got to have it under control and all of that. But uh, but I think the thud practices were basically you kind of chest bump or you you kind of, you know, physically get in the way. The problem with those is uh, you're always standing pretty much straight up. And that's not how you play football. That's not how you tackle people. And so you do that for too long and you get a bunch of guys that it does look like basketball practice. And uh, that's not that's not football. Uh, I thought in watching Iowa, we got to watch Iowa for just 15 minutes last year. They were in shorts and shoulder pads and helmets. They did a lot of things that got them on the ground. Uh, uh, and got them tackling on the ground and got them rolling and got them throwing and doing things that that I was really impressed with how well they had thought out. What can we do that would be as close as possible to what you do in uh, in, in actual games, even if we do it when we're in, in, in shorts? And uh, I'd like to see as much of that done by USC as possible to to keep you doing the same kinds of physical movements and skills and develop the kind of muscle memory uh, that you have to have to be able to play, uh, you know, when you when Saturday gets here. And I don't think, you know, they've done that enough at all. No, I agree with you, Dan. And it's one of those situations that USC needs to get more physical in practice. There's no question about that. It's hard to worry when they're not physical enough. Oh, are they going to be too physical? Is that going to cause injuries? It's sort of like, okay, you you go to the doctor and you're uh, you're overweight. And they put you on some kind of diet and like, okay, we're going to go on this diet tomorrow. Now, I don't want to lose too much weight. And you're, you're worried about that right away. It's like, f- start losing weight. Like, start being more physical in practice before you do anything. Then once it, once that happens, it's like, okay, are guys getting injured or is it actually helping? Because we saw a lot of injuries when they weren't ver- very physical yeah. in practice. It doesn't really prepare you for the games. But you don't want to be that guy that's like, 
Well, I'm starting the diet tomorrow. I'm, I probably have a few extra Twinkies today because I don't want to lose too much weight on my diet. Like that, that's not the way to go into this. Yeah, that's the thing. Like we've chronicled how soft prices have been under Clay Helton, but the injury bug has followed this team for years now. And Shockin could go on a rant about it because he's done all the tracking of how many injuries there have been. And they still lost games because of it. They, they still weren't physical enough. So why not be physical, win more games, and if you still have injuries, you have injuries because it's not like the prior method was preventing injuries. Does that make sense? Exactly right. Well, and then like you got your you know starting quarterback for the year uh, blown out for the season, really getting run over by the pass rush in the Fresno State game, and in the last game you got your you know backup guy who became becomes a Heisman candidate. He gets run over by Iowa, you know, in in game thirteen. So uh, had you practiced uh, more physically and let the offensive line be more you know aggressive and and all of that and and develop the skills to play against really you know good pass rushers and all that, maybe you wouldn't have gotten either one of your quarterbacks hurt. You know, so I mean, I think there's that there's that side of uh, of practicing hard is getting them ready. Uh, you know to keep other guys from getting injured we yeah. got a voicemail here you go you, for you it. got something all right here we go we got a few voicemails but i'll play you guys this one hey ryan keely and dan weber this is a question for you guys i was uh just listening to last night's tunnel vision sorry i wasn't home when it went on um and a couple questions popped in my mind i'll be really quick First, um, what about Jalen McKenzie on the offensive line? Where do you see him fitting in? Um, I think he's pretty great, and uh, I just um, haven't heard too much about him yet. And the other question I have is linebackers. Um, what do you see Todd Orlando doing to develop our linebackers? They seem to go backwards uh, over the years and not get developed, like poor John Houston, who didn't even get an invite to the uh, Combine. And uh, to get them to the next level, and EA, who didn't have a very good year, I know he was injured a little bit, but um, it seems like they just come out firing and then they just regress. So I'd like to see what you think Todd Orlando is going to uh, focus on with those guys. Anyway, thanks so much, and uh, I will talk to you later. Bye. Uh, let's see. We'll take the first one. Jalen McKenzie, I think – uh, because he has some uh, flexibility, I think this is going to be a matter of finding out where all the pieces go together. You know, which uh, I mean, I, I'm convinced both centers, uh, 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 you know, Brett Nealon and, and Justin Dietrich, are going to be in the final five group somewhere, and you know, with the ability to move back to center if they're needed, like last year. Uh, I think Jalen McKenzie and you know Andrew Voorhees and obviously Elijah Vera Tucker. You got to start with that five. They've all started. They've all had, you know, a decent amount of success. But I think, I think it's going to depend to some extent on all the other guys as to where uh, somebody like, you know, Jalen ends up fitting in. But, uh, and I do think you got to put Liam Jimmons in that group. And then we'll see who, you know, fights their way out of the, you know, that next group. And I think they're, three or four candidates that could do that. But, uh, but I think Jalen, I think it's going to be a matter of the kind of mix and match. And uh, as far as the linebackers are concerned, I think it's really hard to stay on top of your game. If you don't, uh, you know, play full speed, if you don't compete really hard in practice. And uh, 
I think it's just, you know, football is a game of instantaneous reaction. And if you don't get a chance to do that, um, especially, you know, linebackers who, you know, you look at uh, Palaia and you got to, you know, you're, you're playing inside and you go, you know, do you go right? Do you go left? Do you drop back or do you blitz? You know, you got four basic things that, that you can do and you got to really know what you're doing. Now, to be, this is my personal quest, you know, for Palaia. I'd like to see him as an edge rusher. I'd like to see him, you know, he's six, two and a half or whatever, 245 pounds. I'd like to see him coming off the edge <clears throat> and just come in one direction. I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's a, you know, he can you know destroy people and, uh, but I don't know that, you know, his forte is figuring out all the different ways that I have to go. And now that may be, you know, have been the scheme and it may have been way they practiced it. But, uh, but I think he could be kind of a devastating edge rusher if they, uh, if they choose to go that direction on the opposite, you know, side from Drake. But um, I think all the linebackers have trouble keeping up with, um, you know, just staying on top of their game the longer the season goes on and the farther away they get from spring ball and fall camp. Uh, and I think that's what this new group of coaches have to, have to bring, uh, you know, to these guys is that ability to keep them, keep them sharp, keep them, uh, you know, mentally ready, but also able to attack every tackle everybody when they get the chance. And, and, you know, there were just too many missed tackles and you can't have linebackers who can't tackle. And uh, I know they they probably suffered the most from the lack of tackling in practice. In my mind, I think part of the reason why I think that was Joan who called in. Who it was Joan? Yeah, yeah, who hasn't heard? I would guess yes. Yeah, who hasn't heard a lot about Jalen McKenzie is just because I think his position seems pretty much settled. I mean, he was kind of the heir to the right tackle position before Drew Richmond transferred in, and then he took over when Richmond was hurt. You know, in the Colorado game and the Holiday Bowl. So in my mind, he's kind of just almost in between penciled in and, and put in the Sharpie of that right tackle position? Because I feel like otherwise, wh- who else would you really put at that right tackle position? Maybe? You know, I think it's interesting. Uh, Andrew Voorhees, I mean, he's going to be in a different play. I mean, he's a guy, you know, 6'6", 300 and, you know, probably 15 pounds. And he's a guy who survived as a freshman, you know, as a starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, would he be... I mean, again, physically, you know, that's exactly what you're looking for. 6'6", 315. Does he have the get up? You know, which place is better for him in terms of his physical tools and, 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 and ability to get off the line of scrimmage and all that? And his, you know, experience level. He's had two years as a starter. Uh, you know, I, I've never seen, you know, why they, you know, right tackle is different from left tackle. He's not a prospect to be a left tackle. But, you know, if they would switch those two guys, I don't know that 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 neither one of them could do the other job. I think I, I just want to see it all go together. Do we know how healthy Andrew Voorhees is? Because the spring guide seemed to suggest that he's kind of. Iffy. Yeah, I thought he'd be fully healthy, but Apparently I just, a couple not. of things I've heard. And then what the spring guide said, it sounds like he might not be so. I, I wasn't even considering that, but now we have to. Yeah. Which yeah, is- and, and I think the other thing is during the fall, for a while, we thought he was going to be back. Yeah. And then it turned out he wasn't back. I mean, now we've heard that story a lot mm-hmm. with this particular roster. 
But uh, uh, that's a good question. I, again, one more thing to be paying a lot of attention to. Which is unfortunate for USC in the sense that you have to assume that Andrew Voorhees will be somewhere in the starting five. But if you can't really test him out, then you can't really solidify that uh, sooner yeah. rather than later. Yeah. Um, we have a question from our buddy Dan, class of 1962, who says, Hi, Ryan, Keeley, and Dan. There have been constant comments about the lack of a running game, with most of the blame being put on the offensive line play. However, I believe that the problem doesn't start with the offensive line, but rather with the lack of a running game scheme. Expecting the offensive line to just overpower the defense to open holes is totally unrealistic. When the running game has no misdirection plays, doesn't run the QB, doesn't employ a two-back offense for deception and lead blocking, and doesn't run jet sweeps, you cannot have a run running game. Also, play action is unusable without a viable running game with all of the above scheme. Therefore, we have a which came first situation, the chicken or the egg. I would submit that the scheme comes first and the offensive line then learns to block to that scheme through repetition and practice. Your thoughts? Fight on, Dan, class of 1962. Well, I do think they have an interesting, uh, you know, challenge with you know, you've got the air raid and you've got the, you know, they're going to throw the ball and you know, defenses Kind of know, that ought to help, you know, in terms of if you think, well, they got to, you know, run, you know, plays that you're going to see in other offenses or misdirection or whatever. Uh, I, I don't know that, you know, they have to do that as much just because you ought to be able to force people, uh, you know, to have to even think about dropping eight. I mean, first of all, if teams drop eight, last year I know it was always, oh, my God, they dropped eight. What are we going to do? Like Brigham Young. And you say, well, they drop eight. You're going to run the ball, okay? They got three down guys, and their linebackers are are very pass conscious. So you just run it and run it and run it until they stop dropping eight. They couldn't do that. That was a combination of, I think, execution, practice, scheme, and injuries. And you can't, you know, you you know they, you know, the top three running backs were gone by the uh, by the sixth game, and you know we're in the you know Keen and Kristen, but. Uh, I think it's a combination of things, and, and I think they got to work at it. And I think they got to work at it in a way where they convince themselves and the players, if they can run the football, they're they're going to be very difficult to stop on offense because you know they're going to be able to throw it. And if you force teams, you know, to have to come up and stop the run, uh, you really ought to be able to throw the ball on them. So I think the run game. Is is crucial. There's no question about it. Uh, I think they probably got to scheme it a little, you know, a little differently. And they've got different kinds of running backs too. So, uh, and you don't want to be giving it away, uh, depending on who's in there. But uh, uh, I think the running game couldn't be more important. Uh, it's just they got to, you know. And again, that's all about how you practice. How you know? I don't know that we saw a lot of. Um, short yardage work and, and, and goal line work and all that on the run game. And I think you probably got to, uh, you know, commit to that more than uh, they did. They had a lot to do last year and they, they did make it work with the pass game. And so I do think they're going to go more in that direction. But, you know, again, that's one more thing to watch. We actually got a question about USC's run game and the question you asked Graham Harrell, Dan. The subject line was Dan Weber, the genius. Uh, so Steve said, Steven San Diego said, hello, Ryan and podcast crew. I know a lot of listeners get frustrated at times because they want you all to ask hard hitting questions. I would love it as well. But hey, you guys must keep relationships and sources to give us the inside information we are seeking. 
I understand that is a fine line. As frustrating as it is sometimes, that is the reality of your jobs. I watched the replay of the coach's press conference. I also admit to getting caught up in the hype a little bit for about 40 minutes. We were all hearing what we wanted to hear. I really enjoyed the talk of violence and physical practices. The, defense, the defensive staff had me fired up. I even forgot about the disappointing, uh, how disappointing SC has been for the last 14 years for a moment. Then came the lead balloon. On the surface, Dan may not have asked the most hard-hitting question in the press conference. However, his question to Graham Harrell exposed the program for what it is, soft. When Graham replied to Dan regarding his run- running question, he said, we have to stay healthy, to Dan's question about what it will take to run the ball again. I crash back to reality. Clay still has to clear, quote-unquote, players to practice. The training staff at SC is still the worst in the country. We can't get anyone healthy. It doesn't matter what assistance you bring in. Clay will use medical reasons to slow things down and make things that... Uh, at a comfortable soft level that he and Graham Harrell are happy with. The next area Bone needs to focus on, overhauling the training staff. The doctors and trainers have been there for too long. Grab someone from Bama who can get their players to recover from ankle surgery in two weeks versus the guys who can't seem to get the player onto the field for two months after suffering from a hangnail. Find someone who can feed these players the right food so they get injured less and recover quicker. We are still stuck with the swamp. Clay will use his final say on medical status to prevent this defensive staff from having the practices they want to have and need to have to move the team forward. Kudos to Dan. That was very revealing. Reality sucks. Until things change. Hashtag fire Clay. Hashtag firefold. Steve in San Diego. Wow. Uh, uh, it's hard to argue with, with some of that. Let's uh, see. said, uh, I do think they have to amp up the, you know, the medical game, the the training game. Uh, uh, we do have a lot of lingering injuries. Uh, uh, I know we were used to, well, you know, we ask a question about somebody hurting a game and well, you know, they'll see the doctor Monday and, and we'll, we'll be able to tell you more about that Tuesday. Uh, you know, you hear some of the stories about what they're doing at Alabama or Georgia or wherever, and they're not waiting until Monday to see the doctor or whatever. I mean, they're they're getting things going with those guys before the game's over on Saturday. So I do think that's that's an issue. I know USC tried. This is what we heard. Uh, I think we heard it from Marquise that they tried the same surgery on his ankle that uh, Alabama did with Tua Itagavaloa. Um, I think uh, it worked. A little bit, you know, obviously, this is probably unfair because every situation is different, every injury is different, every you know, all of that. But you know, Alabama got him back, and um, and um, USC, you know, still, uh, Marquise, we're still not sure, uh, you know, where he is. I mean, I think it was thinking yesterday, what was it yesterday that um, uh, Tua got cleared, medically cleared. Now, that's uh, for the NFL draft, and he's going to work out for the pro scouts. And I'm thinking that's uh, four months after he, he he broke his hip and dislocated it. And four months later, he's going to be working out for the NFL scouts. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, I think there are a lot of really amazing things happening in that area. And I think we need to see USC start to be – a part of that. And I'm sure some of them, if they hear this, so they will not be happy with, uh, you know, cause obviously we're not doctors and, you know, and we don't see everything that they do. It just doesn't seem like USC, uh, 
to you uh, you know use the expression is on the cutting edge of some of this stuff that's happening in terms of rehab and you know we're reminded of you know the two year plus rehab of Daniel Amater baby and uh, still not totally sure what happened there um, but uh, I don't think you're you're yeah. completely off base there no it seems like yeah I think that's a good way to put it it doesn't appear like USC is on the cutting edge. So there's room for improvement for sure. I don't, I mean, I'm no medical expert, but it seems like what you see other schools are doing, USC is just behind that in some cases. So there's, I'm, there's a lot of smoke there. I'm sure there's some fire, something USC could improve on for sure. I will say though, I think Steve, I think kind of misunder, misunderstood what Harold's response was because he was saying that we just need to stay healthy, meaning I think he was alluding to the past rather than the present of what needs to happen going forward. I think he was just alluding to, you know, used Almond Ross St. Brown as a running back against Colorado. I think he was just saying that in order to have a a functioning run game, you have to have healthy backs. So I don't think he was necessarily alluding to let's practice soft so that we can keep our health. Yeah, that's no, I, I, I just think he, he wasn't going to get into the schematic things. Yeah. Of, here's what we're going to do to change it. Or here's how we're going to practice. The ch- he wasn't going there. Uh, so I don't know what he was thinking in those areas. He gave the, the, you know, easy answer that allowed him not to answer that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes when they don't answer something, you know, they know it's an issue. I mean, USC, what, we're 118th in, 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 in running the ball? Mm-hmm. Come on. I mean, that, that can't possibly uh, uh, stand. And so they do have to figure out some different ways to do it. they got to figure out some different ways to practice it. But uh, uh, I think it'll change. But, you know, they weren't going to tell us. That's no. for sure. All right, we got a, a, a voicemail. We had a lot of these kind of like a, the Clay Helton discipline talk. Um, a lot of fans were kind of upset about that. So I'll play that. We might have a couple emails on that too, but I'll play the voicemail and we'll get some reaction from you, Dan. Here you go. Morning guys. Frank out of Irvine class of 2004. Hey, I was reading the war room this morning over a cup of coffee. And I guess the dinner that was held at the, the, the towers, I guess Clay Houghton is, uh, peddling the narrative that he's going to be the CEO this year and he's going to be in charge of discipline. Considering we've seen no discipline with this team under his control, are we being conned again? I've called Clay Helen a con man before because he has this nice guy attitude to him. But, I mean, we haven't seen anything of um, any kind of discipline. And I know you guys are going to say the coaches are different. This is going to be different. But it all starts with the head coach. Who's really running this team? Because it's not Clay Helton, and he's not going to do anything about discipline. So what's really going on, and why are they peddling the same nonsense? Frank of Irvine, class of 2004. So when Frank said he was reading the war room while he was drinking his coffee, I thought the next thing he was going to say was describing the spit take that he yeah, had that's what, yeah. <laughs> that he had when he got to the discipline uh, comment. Uh, and, you know, I think I, if it were me, I'd prefer to have the position coaches also be the disciplinarians. They're the closest to those guys. I'd like to see these guys do some of it. I like the idea when Todd Orlando came to the first meeting 
and they didn't know who he was. And he's sitting there hearing Aaron Osmus go over some of the lack of discipline that was happening in winter workouts. And, and Todd said, that isn't going to happen anymore. We're cut. That stops right now. So I think at that level, I would probably want Clay to be the CEO who would oversee that, uh, you know, but, uh, but I'd put it in the hands of the, of the, of the assistant coaches. I, I really would. That's not Clay's strong suit yeah. at all. That's a really good point. And coach Harvey Hyde said the same thing and he's more suited. He was as a head coach, he was more of a disciplinarian, but he still would let the assistant coaches govern that. So he would kind of set the policy, but it would be like his up to his generals to kind of execute the, the plan. So I think that's a great point, Dan. That's something that, you know, you don't, you don't want to play to your strengths and Clay Helton is not going to be, you know, if he's just changed his ways and was completely on top of all these guys, I don't think that would fly. But if it's a Todd Orlando or a Craig Niver or someone like that, that would make more sense. We have an interesting proposition from John who says, hello, Keely, Dan, and Ryan. He has a few questions for rapid fire. Uh, so I'm going to go one by one. First off, he says, any chance Bill Snyder is around the program this year? Certainly uh, informally to be near his son, but any chance as an analyst? Well, I, I think uh, Sean was asked that question and he didn't go into much detail and I, I could see why, but I would think, I think there will be some presence there. I mean, I just think the fact that, you know, he, he was a, a grad, uh, Bill Snyder was a grad assistant for, uh, you know, for John McKay back in 1966 or whatever it was. Uh, I would say there will be a presence of his, uh, how that, you know, how that, you know, manifests itself. I don't know. I mean, we still see Clay's dad is around and, and I, I, there's no question he's got input into the program. Uh, and, you know, everybody's been really happy with Dave Campo and his, uh, you know, ability as an analyst and just having him around the program. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if at, you know, at times, uh, again, you know, Bill Snyder might not be the easiest guy to, to just have a really kind of light touch and all. He was a, he was a hard nosed, tough SOB. I mean, he's a, you know, so how he would, you know, how he would play with clay in terms of, you know, working together and all that. I don't, I don't know, but uh, you know, whatever he would want to do that, what he did with Kansas state program is almost impossible. They were, just about the worst program in America and uh, how they, you know, and how they got that going and got it to where it was and all of that. It's kind of a miracle. I mean, that was one of the great coaching uh, jobs, you know, in, in, in college football history. So uh, whatever they could, you know, get from him, uh, I'm all for. And John, read the war room from a few weeks ago. I put a little note in there about that. So well, there you go. His second question is: When do you predict the number fifty-five will return to the field at USC? Justin Justin Flo talked about it, but the, but then stated USC was too much about the past. Has the legend of number fifty-five lost its recruiting superpowers? I think well, definitely as far as you know, recruiting superpowers. I just don't think you know. I don't, I don't even think. Kids pay, hopefully they don't pay that much attention. I would get nervous about kids that really, really care about a number. You know, I want them caring about what they're going to do for the program and, you know, whatever number they have, they make that, you know, a number that 
people want to pay attention to and retire. But uh, I just think it, it, it's unseemly for a kid coming out of high school to even want or even know that there's a number that, that I deserve and, and what have you, know, or that I should get or I should even be thinking about. So I'm, I'm kind of an anti-numbers guy. Uh, and so I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't ever like the idea of using that in a way of, as, as a kind, especially as a recruiting thing. I just think, you know, high school kids, they shouldn't be looking at numbers, uh, you know, that really mattered at USC. I mean, you're so far away from really deserving a number, the whatever number uh, that you, you know, think you want in high school that, uh, that I, I, you know, this is the program that, you know, the only one left that doesn't have uh, names on the back of jerseys. And I think I'd much more go that direction than, uh, you know, using numbers as, uh, I mean, I, I always remember, which was the number? Was it number one they'd give to somebody and then Lane would have to take it away? Uh, that happened at times, right, Ryan? You remember? Yeah, I think that's. They give somebody a number one, and they'd say after a year or two, you know what? We're giving that to somebody else uh, who's coming in because you haven't panned out. So I'm I'm not crazy about that. Yeah. And one final question from John. He says, "Prediction time: Will USC make the college football playoff during Mike Bone's tenure as AD?" Thanks for all you do. Fight on, John. I don't know. The only prediction I'll make, and having you know, written about uh, USC football history in, in my book, is if you're a great college football coach and you come to USC, you'll probably get in the playoffs. Hey, you know, so far, every great coach that's come to USC has won national championships. So uh, I think that USC is a place where you can kind of make that kind of a prediction. And when you talk to uh, a number of these coaches who, you know, are coming here, the young guys, they will tell you, hey, USC is a place where you can win a national championship. There are a lot of places you can do everything right. You can be the best coach in the history of the world. You're not going to win a national championship at Texas Tech. You're just not. It isn't going to happen. Uh, but USC, you do everything right. You, you you got a good you got a chance a decent chance to win a national championship and there're only a handful of those schools so uh so that's kind of you know whether that coincides with Mike you know Bones tenure uh I don't know I, it's uh one hopes that he realizes that that's what it's going to take yeah you, you have to find that coach and i would say i'd say yes um because I think they're they're good at hiring coaches. So whenever this coaching tenure ends, I don't think they're going to win a national championship or go to the playoffs under Clay Helton. But I think the next coach will be in a much better spot. He'll be a better coach. And they'll go to the playoff. I think it's a, a pretty easy path for USC. And the fact that they haven't been to a playoff yet is is criminal. Um, but if you win the Pac-12 and you just, you know, you, you beat Notre Dame that year, you're most likely going to the playoff. So I, I think... That's it. The bar's not that, it, you know, it's a lot harder to do that at a place like LSU where there's a lot of competition on the West coast. There's just not that much. If USC does well, they'll be considered and they'll probably get in. So I think they will during bones era during, you know, whoever he hires as the head coach next. You know, and that's where I, as much as, you know, we know what the problems are. You look at USC's team, you look at the roster, you look at the coaches in that, you know, 
the, with the new guys especially and how that all comes together. USC could run the table in the Pac-12. I mean, when you look at who left and who's back and how many new quarterbacks people are going to have to bring, you know, and all of that, uh, USC could 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 get going if, if they don't have the kinds of, you know, horrible just – show up and don't have any idea what they're doing like they did at Brigham Young in Washington early in the year and kind of wipe the season out. Uh, they don't have those moments. And, and with the kind of quarterbacking they should have, maybe they, you know, they won't. And then they got to, then they got to beat Notre Dame at home and they got to beat Oregon on the road and you got to get to the championship game. But I mean, they do have a shot at the playoffs this year, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, they're, uh, when you look at Bill Conley, the ESPN guy, I think he's the smartest guy in, in, in terms of looking at, at entire rosters and looking at what you've got coming back and all of that and, and breaking it down, you know, numerically and, and, and how you determine productivity on all the different units and all that. USC, in his mind, uh, has 82% of its productivity back from last year which is a really high number. They're one of the five teams he, he believes, one of the top five, uh, in terms of making the biggest jump uh, going into next year. Uh, and if you do that, uh, you know, USC was eight and four in the regular season last year and, and, and you know, had in, in a lot of ways didn't always look like they had any idea what they were doing or that they were ready to, to play. Um, so, I think they actually, when you look at the rosters and how things go, this is their year. Uh, I don't think they're going to have, you know, with the way the recruiting has gone, I don't know that they're going to have the kind of kind of depth that, that they could have this year. So, so I actually think, you know, this might be their, their best year for a while in terms of a, of a shot at, at making it happen. Again, you got to, you know, you can't slip. Uh, you got to beat Oregon on the road. And you absolutely, you know, you get Notre Dame at home. Uh, um, and a lot of those teams are going to have new quarterbacks, and you aren't. And so um, so I think there's a shot this year, actually. I'm sure people are very – Yeah. Very... I'm not, I'm not going to be that optimistic. Uh, I think I you lose to Alabama for sure. You lose to Notre Dame, and you lose to Oregon on the road. So we'll see. So you're like 9-3 and three seems the most likely scenario for me. I can see that. Frank in Sacramento sent us a question for Dan that says, LSU had great success last year after making big changes on offense and defense. What do you think Coach O would tell Clay Helton about things he needs to do regarding delegation to be successful, assuming Coach O would even take Clay's call? Frank in Sacramento. <laughs> well, it was the other way for a while. Clay wouldn't take Coach O's call, so uh, uh, I guess turnabout is, is, is fair play. Uh, yeah, Coach O is doing a heck of a job delegating. I, I, I think Marcus Allen was telling me he was down there for the one game, and he said, I think they did three walkthroughs, you know, the day before. He said they do – they're so disciplined. He said, uh, I guess they uh, – you know, uh, one of the kids uh, they were recruiting, uh, high-profile kids showed up Friday uh, to eat with the team, and I guess he had a cap on or a hat, something like that. And Ed looked at him and said, hey, we don't wear hats around here. Take that hat off. You know, this is a guy they're trying to – he said, you know, that that's not what we do. That's not who we are. And he's become, you know, a real stickler 
uh, in terms of discipline. Now you always kind of had fun with it and, and call guys out and all that. But now it's like a, a science the way uh, he said he does everything over and over and over again in terms of uh, nothing's left to chance. And they just are so specific in what they want of their kids and, ha- and, and the demands that they make of them. And I think it, you know, it showed up on offense that they, you know, were a team that was kind of haphazard in terms of, you know, hit or miss offense. And that, you know, obviously, you know, they made the right choice on their quarterback and and what they could do with him. But uh, uh, yeah, I think the the absolute discipline and 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 uh, attention to detail uh, the coach O. Uh, showed uh, last year at LSU, and that's not an easy place to uh, have a lot of attention to detail. Uh, LSU is one of the harder places in the country to coach. It's just a different world, and uh, for Coach O to be able to go in there and do that, and he got all the right assistance. I think you know he'd been working his way uh, in terms of staffing and then restaffing, and uh, so I think that's what he would. He would tell Clay if uh, if they ever talk about it, which I'm guessing they won't. We have a question from Steve, USC class of 97, who says this is for Keely, Dan, and Ryan. I enjoy listening to the podcast with AD Mike Bone and left feeling more optimistic about USC's future. However, both Hayden and Swan gave lip service to USC winning Pac-12 titles and competing for nationals, national titles. But in five years, Hilton has won conference title and has never been to the playoff. He has not been held accountable by previous regimes for his on-the-field performance. So why will this administration be any different? I want to believe, but we have been fooled before. Tell me why I should believe in Mike Bone. And how long do you think he would give Clay Helton to produce on the field before moving on? Thanks and fight on, dot, 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 to victory. Steve, USC class of 97. Hey, Steve, real quick, I'll jump in because Hayden Swan had no idea what the hell they were doing. So that's like if Mike Bone is a below average AD, they will be much better than what they were the last 10 years. So I think that's a big part of it. If Mike Bone's really good, it's going to help a lot. But it's just just watching what they do. It's the difference between someone that knows what they're doing and someone doesn't. Someone that's just at least been there before. Like if you're if we could do the, the restaurant thing. You could be a chef at a restaurant and maybe you're getting by, you're doing all right, and you come in and, and another restaurant needs you. You've been a chef before. You could at least wing it. You know you know what you're doing a little bit. Where they brought in like a shoe salesman to be the, the chef and they had no clue what was going on. You know, they The guy that had been to restaurants before, but he's never run one in Hayden and Swan. So I, to me, that's the difference is you've just hired someone who's been an AD before and obviously things are going to get better and that's what we've seen already. If Bone had, there's upside with Bone, but just being that he's been an 80 before is such a huge upgrade. Well, this is where I bring out my old line about the previous two, I guess really three ADs. Um, I said, not only did they not have any answers, they had no idea what the questions were. So, for example, uh, when Mike Bone just, you know, offhandedly references the fact that NBC, maybe if you got a Notre Dame kind of deal with NBC, you'd have to look at it. If you asked that question previously, even though you had two people that were television guys, they would have looked at you like, what are you talking about? How would we ever, you know, exist outside the Pac-12? I mean, we got the weekender, right? What else are we going to ask for? I mean, we're, you know, hey, uh, there, there was just USC would have been better off with no AD, 
than at least the last two. I mean, if you just said you're on your own, because uh, you were, but you thought you had an AD and you were paying them, you know, millions of dollars a year. So, um, uh, Bone is, you know, that's what Bone does. That's who he is. He's also a fan. He likes being around. He likes, uh, you know, he likes the fan. He likes the games. He likes the fan. <clears throat> he likes, you know, ringing that, you know, ringing the bell and doing all that stuff. And, uh, and I think, uh, when you have, uh, superstar or kind of star athletes who are in that job, their whole life has been uh, people coming to them, telling them how great they are, telling them what they could do for them. Uh, they have no experience at all in bringing people together and getting the whole, you know, thing going in the right direction. And all, that's not who they do, who they are. You know, they are got the guy that goes to Virginia and signs autographs for a, for a hundred grand on a weekend. That's what USC had going for it, and that didn't work well at all for anybody except you know, you know those guys. And and that's how they visualize the world as what can the world do for me? Because that's how the world is kind of you know treated them, and that's how you treat you know star athletes. It's really hard. You don't see many uh, superstars that are ever even successful coaches because. To them, the world is just a different place. And we, you know, we, when I worked a little bit for the Reds, you knew as much as great a teammate and as great a ball player as Pete Rose was, he didn't have the slightest idea how to bring all those 25 players together to be a great baseball team. It just, it was what he did, but he didn't know how to do it for them. Uh, Magic Johnson would be a good example with the Lakers. He looked at those guys after a while and he said, I can't coach these guys. They don't want to play like I wanted to play. And, you know, you had a Pat Riley who was kind of a, um, you know, a, a sub and a broadcaster who had been spending his life thinking about how do we get this done. And uh, I think that's how, you know, USC didn't have anybody in charge. They just didn't. They were on their own. And that doesn't work out well, I don't think at all. So, uh so the bone is, is, is in a totally different category from what went ahead before him. We have a question from Matt in Ann Arbor who says, Hi, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley. I was wondering if you know the difference between the size of the US, USC support staff and that of some of the traditional powerhouses of the SEC and Big Ten. I feel like Alabama staff is larger than the team itself, for instance, with all their analysts and so forth. I suspect this plays an important and under understated role in recruiting and player development and i suspect usc staff is not at all that big or active glad to see some of the recent position coach hires but i suspect we still have a long way to go in the more quote-unquote unseen areas am i far off thanks for your great work matt in ann arbor yeah matt it's not as bad as it was i mean they've doubled up the recruiting you know staff and they've you know got you know uh, you know ads out there uh, as to the kind of people they want and uh so I think they're closing the gap maybe a little bit there. I don't think they have the ability to, you know, if somebody all of a sudden is available like Ohio State or, or Alabama can just hire them or uh, add at LSU and just go out ahead and hire them. That $20 million difference between what, you know, the uh, Big Ten schools make or, or, you know, the $15 million that SEC schools make over the Pac-12, that, that – you know, that eventually catches up with you. 
and, and that's a problem. And USC probably going to be the second straight year of, of losing money uh, in the athletic program, which that you know never happened before. But USC is doing things that more things that those other schools uh, do, and they're figuring out ways to get people in here. Uh, that in years past they wouldn't have even uh, thought about doing. So I think, you know, they're doing better. Uh, is there a long way to go? Oh, there's a, you know, a, a really long, long way to go. But they're, it's moving in the right direction. I mean, for years it wasn't almost moving at all. Uh, now they've got a, you know, USC's got some built-in advantages just being USC, being where it is, uh, all of the things about USC that, that are, you know, are really positive. So, I don't know that USC would ever have to match Alabama or Clemson, uh, you know, man for man and all of that. But uh, but they're doing better, uh, but not anywhere nearly in the ballpark with uh, Ohio State, for example. And yet, you know, Ohio State had that advantage most of the years, and USC won seven straight games against Ohio State until you know they uh, they lost the uh, the Cotton Bowl a couple of years ago, but. Uh, so USC doesn't have to equal them, but they gotta they gotta get more bang for their buck, and they gotta figure out where to put that money, and then they gotta you know they gotta compete. And I I don't think we saw a willingness from the top down to compete. And I think I think Mike Bone and uh, Brandon Sosna are competitors. I think they wanna they wanna ca- compete and they wanna keep score. And uh, <coughs> I don't. <coughs> Excuse me. I just don't think they uh, uh, have a sense of we're USC, uh, deal with it, we're going to be fine. I think they look and say, well, what can we do here? What can we do there? And uh, I think Ryan, you you you've you know seen some of that. They're they're definitely trying. Yeah, they they seem like they know what they're doing. They care. With where the other administration, they, they it didn't even act like they cared. Um, someone that cares a lot is our buddy <laughs> Curtis uh, from Moreno Valley. Uh, He's our, uh, he's the optimist around and he'd left. So we did a show yesterday, uh, Monday, today's Tuesday. He's left three voicemails since that show. Um, so we're going to play one of them for you, but Curtis didn't like the the fact that someone on tunnel vision asked a question about, did Clay Houghton get booed at the basketball game? Mm, yeah. We talked about that. He wasn't real fan of that. And then he, he, two kind of voicemails that were about the same. I'll play one of them for you and get your thoughts. Here you go. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Chris from San Jose, thanks for the shout-out. You said you wanted to hear what I thought about Clay Helton's possibility of uh, handling discipline again, but you already know what I'm going to think about it. No, you don't. I don't care who the coach is. I don't care. I just want the team to win. If they would have fired Clay, I would have wanted the team to win against Alabama and everybody else. But now, since they retained him, I still want the team to win against Alabama and everybody else. So we may not be perfect. He's not a perfect coach, but he sure hired some really tough coaches. I think discipline is going to come from there, and I think we're going to be a better team for it. I think he should have been able to introduce those coaches. I don't think he should be doing the love of my life stuff like with Soa Lovadon. And our kids shouldn't have been in the stands shaking hands with people after the Oregon game. There's some things that Clay has to 
get together. But I don't care who the coach is. Just win. Beat Bama. Well, a measured response. It was, yeah. The other yeah. one, was there some similar stuff? He talked about what are you going to do when you beat Bama? He called them Alabama cliff jumpers. So if if any of you the fans, you don't want them to beat Alabama. So he said, when USC beats Alabama, Ooh. you guys are going to be jumping off the bandwagon. He called them the Alabama uh, cliff jumpers. So that was his term for them. Yeah, although you know, on that one, I can't disagree with uh, with Curtis. There, uh, completely. Uh, he, uh, I think, has it. I think that's a very measured uh, and very correct. Uh, uh, Way of looking at things. Good job by Curtis there. I think and I think that's what <laughs> USC fans need to do. I mean, they've gotten the message. They know. Uh, and I think it's helped uh, be able to hire this staff where I think the administration has put themselves in. I think they thought they had another year. They'll give us another year, won't they? Won't they? No, they're not giving you another year. And, you know, when... President Fault would, would tweet out some congratulations to some kid who won a postgraduate scholarship and get 300 responses that say, what about football? Um, I think they got the message that people were really, really unhappy. They're getting the message trying to sell season tickets. They're getting the message about people turning back the, uh, back to private boxes and things like that. So uh, I think they, you know, they understand that, that people, you know, are not happy. Uh, although I think I, I mean, what did you guys, what was the decision about whether Clay got booed or not? I thought, I thought they handled that in a way that it was surprising to me that there weren't, that I could discern any boos at the basketball game, the way they introduced the staff and everybody is, you know, very, uh, enthusiastic about the, the new hires. And then they, you know, brought Clay out with them and, uh, and, and I didn't, I was wondering, are they going to announce Clay or not? And they did. And it, you know, they moved it on very quickly and there wasn't much opportunity to, but that crowd did that. I could tell didn't, didn't do any booing that I don't know if anybody else heard anything differently, but I was a little surprised. No, I didn't, I didn't hear any boos either. I was very curious because Clay walked out first and talked to the Trojan Knights and I was like, how are they going to do this? And they did the whole staff. I thought people were pretty excited for the defensive staff when they introduced them. And then it was, I think they said like led by Clay Helton and then kept right. mo- kept it moving on. Almost like how they do basketball intros where they do all the players and they're like, coach, bye, blah, blah, blah. And this isn't whatever. Yeah. Um, so I-, I thought they did it in a good way where you're not putting Clay out there on a limb and like hoping people don't boo. It was kind of just like moving on and we're putting him in there, which is like. I guess kind of what you have to do at this point in time. Yeah, I think it was smartly done. I thought they looked like, okay, whoever did this knows what they're doing. They got him out there, but they didn't put him in a position, you know, where he's going to, you know, and it it worked. I thought, I thought they handled it well. And that's always a good sign that somebody is thinking these things through before doing them. And uh, one can just hope it, you know, that they keep thinking things through and and making it work, but um, I, I was uh, I was a little surprised. Were you surprised, Kelly, a little bit? By what? By the way they did it, or the non booing? The, the fact that they didn't they they got Clay out there without you know naming him, by naming him and without getting any booze. Oh, it was smart. I was yeah. fully had was ready to go with a snarky tweet about how they didn't introduce Clay and how that was a little odd. But then they did it well. So there you go. I, yeah, but it was a little surprising. Some thought is happening these days. Well, and, and that the fans. 
picked up on it and said, okay, we'll let this pass. You know, we're happy enough about the new hires and they're throwing, you know, they're shooting t-shirts or throwing t-shirts up into the stand and all of that. It was all kind of a feel good moment and they let it pass. And and that was good. Mm -hmm. So get this, we have a, the range of alumni on our show who send in questions. We had Dan class of 1962. This time we have Adam class of 2023. I feel old. It's, it's, well, if you feel old, I don't know what yeah. I feel. <laughs> right? Um, now, Adam was one of the offenders of writing a novel, which I will try and read as much as I can. Uh, he apparently was on the water cooler with you, Ryan, so he was saying it was a good time. It, yeah, he was. Uh, so he was one of the hosts, and okay. I was a guest on there, uh, the water cooler. So yeah, it was cool. They have, like it, I mean, that's a great production they got going on there. Mm-hmm. All the students run the the show, so yeah. it was good. Yeah, good stuff. I'm always for student run sports productions. So okay. He says, hi, Ryan, Keeley, and Dan. I want to start off by saying that I really appreciate all the content that you guys produce. Listening to your remarks about USC potentially leaving the Pac-12 on last week's podcast, I couldn't help but think about the impact that it would have on USC's future scheduling. If USC were to go independent, it would obviously be easy to keep the rivalry with Notre Dame intact, and the Trojans would have plenty of flexibility to continue scheduling a traditional Pac-12 rival such as UCLA and Stanford. However, if USC were to join the Big 12, scheduling would become an entirely new ballgame. While this scenario would certainly take USC's quote-unquote rivalry of sorts with Texas to a new level and potentially create new ones with schools such as Oklahoma, it would certainly be a huge blow to the Trojans' existing rivalries. Realistically, do you think that there's any way that the that USC could continue to play both USC and Notre Dame every year should they move to the Big 12? He also says... Another potential ramification of USC leaving the Pac-12 that I couldn't help but think about was the Rose Bowl. Despite only one appearance in the granddaddy of them all over the past decade, the Rose Bowl is essentially USC's second home. However, assuming that the Rose Bowl keeps its traditional Big Ten Pac-12 arrangement, should USC leave the Pac-12, it would only be in, it would only be possible for the Trojans to play in the game in the years that it is a playoff semifinal. Obviously, the landscape of the college football playoff could change in the decade to come, but that seems like too much speculation to get into right now. Do you think that the ability to play in the Rose Bowl could play any sort of role in Mike Bone's potential decision on whether or not to leave the Pac-12? While this isn't something that I would nece- necessarily expect Bone to think of on his own, he has made listening to the concerns of fans a priority of his, and the Rose Bowl obviously holds a special place in the hearts of USC fans. Given that it is very much a long shot that USC would actually lead the Pac-12, and if it were to happen, it would not be for several, several years down the line. This is obviously just speculation at this point. However, I was curious if you had any thoughts on these questions. Once again, I really appreciate all the work that you do. Thank, thank you for your time and fight on. Sincerely, Adam Bradford, class of 2023. Whew, got through it, guys. Good one, yeah, that's, nice. that's worth reading. Adam, by yeah. the way, I don't, Adam thinks about this. Adam's uh, class at USC will be the 100th anniversary of the Coliseum. Ooh. So uh, he can figure uh, from 1920, I'm sure they'll be doing things in 2023 to uh, honor the uh, you know the centennial I guess of the uh, of USC in the Coliseum. Uh, that's a good question, and I don't think that's one that's been high on the list of of what happens if you go independent. What happens if you go with the Big Twelve? I think if USC went with the independent route that say Notre Dame has taken uh, with the ACC, for example, where they're sort of half in. And half, I mean, they they give the ACC half their football schedule. They also give them all the rest of their schedules. So they get like a half a share from the ACC, and then they still get their Notre, uh, NBC money. 
that would be uh, of all the, the ways to do things for me, that would be the preferable one for USC if they could become the second half of a Notre Dame USC doubleheader, you know, on uh, NBC uh, and giving NBC an earlier game and a later game. Uh, there are weeks, for example, you know, they, uh, NBC only gets half of Notre Dame's schedule. So there are weeks where NBC doesn't have any game. So you would think that maybe having, you know, if USC gets to be USC again, that would be a, a real possibility for uh, for NBC. If USC goes to the Big 12, yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, there's no way uh, you're going to be able to stay with the Rose Bowl. I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, or if USC goes independent, could USC work out a deal if they did go, you know, independent uh, with um, um, with the Rose Bowl and the Pac-12, let's say, and for that USC gives so many games to Pac-12 teams because so, you know they want to come to Los Angeles because that's where they're getting, you know, most of their recruits and they're uh, they've got a lot of alumni. So I think there might be a w- ways in which you could you could still you know work that, but yeah, that would be a that might be the toughest thing of all of going to the Big 12 would be if you're giving up the Rose Bowl. Um, and hopefully USC's in a position in the near future where that really matters. Uh, I mean, to believe it or not, you know, you're still in school, Adam, but there was a time when people were going, oh, my God, we got to go to the Rose Bowl again? Who are we <laughs> playing this year? You know, what is it? Uh, Illinois, Penn State, you know, Michigan. And, uh it did kind of get a little bit, you know, just routine almost. Uh, a routine USC would probably like to get back to, uh, uh, you know. But that's uh, a good question, and I think it's one of the one one of the many things you'd have to work out if uh, how this, however, this all plays out. But uh, I don't have a great deal of hope for the Pac-12. I mean, it's uh, the numbers are just not there. The uh, you know the the attendance, the, you know, there's just so many things that all the bad decisions that have been made uh, about the Pac-12. I saw this week that uh, the way they've scheduled the uh, Pac-12 basketball tournament in Las Vegas, they're keeping the good games for the Pac-12 network. And the highest that they're giving out is, is a third, you know, uh, a number three team. Well, you, you know, that can be good for the Pac-12 network. But it's not good for the best teams in the Pac-12 because they're appearing, uh, you know, on a much more limited, you know, national uh, visibility. And uh, so what's good for the Pac-12 network isn't necessarily good for the teams in the Pac-12. And so there are so many issues, uh, you know, going forward with uh, where the Pac-12 is that uh, it almost doesn't seem possible for the Pac-12 to stay together together. uh, financially, it just makes no sense. Uh, and as you saw, after Mike Bone said what he said last week, uh, I guess there was a column in the Portland Oregonian. There was a column in the Phoenix paper, uh, uh, you know, in, in Arizona. Uh, and I guess both uh, um, boom, 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 uh, Stuart Mandel and uh, Andy Staples with The Athletic and Dennis Dodd uh, with CBS Sports, everybody picked up on, hey, it's about time. Somebody, you know, good for USC uh, to be, you know, talking about this. Uh, the Pac-12 needs it. Something's got to happen. There wasn't one negative 
reaction to what Mike Bone, you know, threw out there, uh, which tells you, you know, I mean, uh, Andy Staples at The Athletic said, hey, the smart thing to happen right now is for the uh, uh, the Big 12, which has just 10 teams, to cherry pick and bring some of the Pac-12, the ones they want, over to the Big 12 and let the Pac-12 become the Mountain West. And I'm not sure that's maybe not what's going to happen. Yeah, and that, that's the thing. The other thing, uh, and thanks for the, the question. It was fun, uh, Adam, being on the show with you guys. If USC, like say that scenario happened and the Pac-12 got, they, they cherry pick, or the Big 12 cherry pick, like say USC, UCLA, and Oregon and Washington or something, and they go to the Big 12 and it becomes this super conference. The Pac-12 is not going to host the Rose Bowl anymore anyway. Like they're, they're, they're not sending like Washington State or whatever to the Rose Bowl every year. So in that scenario, I don't think that the tie-in would happen. And the last time USC went to the Rose Bowl, it wasn't because they won the Pac-12 either. So I, I feel like this is a situation um, where USC, even if they didn't go to the Rose Bowl for the next 25 years, no one's going to pass their records as far as the number of wins. But I think it would still work out somehow where they'd able to be, go to the Rose Bowl. No matter what, if it was independent, they'd work something out. The, the landscape's going to change a lot. So I, that, that wouldn't be a big uh, worry for me. And for the schedule, I agree with Dan. I think you go with like a half in. If it's an independent thing, you go a half in like uh, Notre Dame does in the Pac-12. Those schools in the Pacific Northwest still want to come to Los Angeles. So even if the Pac-12 is upset, they would still rather recruit in L.A. So they, they wouldn't like they'd shun USC and not play them. Um, but if they, you know, if you're talking about going to the big 12, then obviously the schedule thing works itself out. But if USC leaves the PAC 12, I think the PAC 12's tie into the Rose bowl would be in serious jeopardy. That's a really good point that the Rose bowl has a say about this too. And the Rose bowl might say, okay, PAC 12, here's how we're going to do it. It'll be your champ or USC, whichever we decide to invite. And yeah. what's the uh, what's the Pac-12 going to do? Say, oh, we're not going to the Rose Bowl? No, of course not. <laughs> and what's the Big Big Ten going to say? Hey, we just rather play the best team, you know, in that in that game. So, so I could see the 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 Rose Bowl people saying, hold on, Pac-12. If if you lose USC or you lose several teams, we're going to redo this and we're going to figure out how to how to make it happen. So uh, that'd be it, I guess if if four, four, so I mean, Andy Staples, I think he had six of them going, uh, you know, including Arizona and Arizona State. Yeah. But if those teams went to make it a 16 team Big 12, Pac 12 combo, that champion might go to the Rose Bowl. Right. Exactly. 100%. So. Like, it certainly wouldn't be the Pac 12 anymore. The Pac 12 would cease to exist or become part of the Mountain West or something. Yeah. Wow. There would be no who would, pay, uh, yeah. who would pay Larry Scott's contract? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's it would the 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 conference would most likely collapse and you know, it would be a, a much if it survived, it would be it would bring in like the Fresno States and everything in the world, and that's that's it. So they would not have a the Rose Bowl would not be dealing with the Pac twelve at that point. So that's uh that's just my thoughts. Interesting. Well, thank you, Adam. For the question, yeah, thanks, I thought Adam. it was worth reading because it was well thought, thought out. Uh, we had, that was smart, right? A couple more questions. John 
in Oakland from Oakland or his last name is Oakland. Not sure. Please specify next time. Uh, he says, hi, Ryan, Keely, and Dan. I'm so tired of hearing this false narrative I hear about Reggie Bush being an innocent victim of the evil NCAA. He and his family broke clear and well understood NCAA rules. They even had to sign paperwork acknowledging the rules when he enrolled at USC on scholarship. He has never publicly accepted responsibility or regret for his actions, let alone apologize to his teammates that suffered under the NCAA sanctions his actions brought about. Another, there's a segment of our society that likes turning criminals into victims, but I do not subscribe to this mindset, especially when the wrongdoer has shown no signs of contrition. Fight on, John Oakland. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, uh, you know, with the 10-year limit now, you know, now that we know that, you know, the NCAAs can't... uh, or isn't going to, uh, you know, throw somebody out forever. Uh, and that there's a 10 year limit and that's coming up this fall. Uh, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how USC, uh, you know, decides to follow up on it. I do think, for example, I do think, uh, stuff happened that Reggie didn't know about before Reggie got involved in it. Uh, and we can go into all the details about how that happened. I, I I don't think he initiated it. I don't think it was done for his benefit even. Uh, but uh, once it started happening, you know, what are you going to do? You know, turn in your, your parents or, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, the, there were things that, you know, once he probably could have stayed farther away from it. But the fact that his family didn't pay their rent and the NCAA decided, oh, they were being given that. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that, that the NCA uh, contended was bogus, uh, but they needed to take USC down, and, and Reggie was the best way to take USC down, and they were, you know, searching for, uh, you know, every little bit of a bit of evidence that they could. But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, an apology, I mean, I know Reggie's supposed to be completely disassociated from USC or vice versa, and would Reggie even be allowed to apologize in any public way to USC? USC, I mean, you know, could they invite him back? And he say, I'm going to come, you know, Reggie, we're having Reggie here for, you know, homecoming, and he's going to, uh, you know, deliver a statement. Would USC be even allowed to do that uh, until the, you know, the ban is up? I don't, I don't know. I think it wouldn't be a bad idea for Reggie to do that. Maybe even, you know, create a scholarship or something in his name. I think there are ways that, you know, USC could get around. USC could do uh, do that, and and this will be interesting to see with the new athletic regime if they can figure out how to make that work. Because there are a lot of fans who aren't real happy with Reggie in terms of his uh, acknowledging uh, his part in it, and uh, and 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 not you know being aware of you know all the lost scholarships and things like that. You know. Was it all his fault? No. Did the NCAA, you know, set him up the way they did Todd McNair? Yeah. Uh, they needed somebody like that. But uh, I, I would like to see the USC try to get Reggie's Heisman back. I mean, he won it on the field. Whatever happened later had nothing to do with uh, whether he should have won the Heisman or not. And I would guess of the 80 or so Heisman winners, Reggie be kind of in the middle in terms of how much they were gifted uh, while they were going to college. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous to act like Reggie's the only one of every single Heisman Trophy winner in history that went across over the line in terms of, 
you know, doing things that you know that he should not have done. Um, so I would like to see USC fight for the Heisman to get it back. Yeah, hundred percent. We'll see. June is the time. I think the ten years are up. So we'll see what this. I think this administration is going to do something. I just don't know what yet. So we'll find out. And whether or not the logistics and whether or not it's right or not that he hasn't said anything publicly, I do know and I've heard that he has expressed remorse privately and to other USC players and whatnot. So I don't think, John, you know the full story, but I know that you can be angry about, um, I guess, how he handled it publicly. But I do I do think that's a lot for someone to handle. And just being in the behind the scenes and hearing what Todd McNair had to say about it in the court case, I think it, no one was expecting the level of frenzy that it got to. Um, when it all went down but interesting enough uh one final question and it's from dan class of 1962 he says hi keely ryan and dan thank you as always for your thoughtful responses to questions and comments in the second tenure of john robinson he had two very very good qbs brad otten and kyle wacholtz 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 before my time wacholtz yeah my apologies so he used both of them throughout the season with a rotation system they were both very effective i'm not advocating this system because it usually does not work however with both keen slovis and jt daniels being highly effective qbs it would behoove harrell and helton to find a way to get both of them time on the field during games the problem with helton has been that the team rarely got good leads against mediocre teams so that that the second and third team qbs could rarely get on the field other than for injuries when they did get on the field, they were only in to kill time off the clock by handing off the ball. Both QBs need to have time to actually run the playbook. Slovis should be the starter, but the coaches need to find ways to get Daniels and even Fink onto the field with the full playbook. With three good QBs and one Fink being actually a runner, they should have really good running plays for Fink as well. Your thoughts on using two and three quarterbacks? Fight on and win. Dan, class of 1962. Yeah, Dan, that's why I really would like to see him play as fast as they could on offense and get as many plays in there and, and try to, you know, not only wear people down, but but get those guys on the field. I, I really think it'd be fun to – and I, I just think it's possible. I, I know people say, oh, you can't do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think enough teams have done it and done it, uh, you know, decently well. And I think this USC, this USC team with this offense – would be uh, able to pull that off. And I, I, I think it would be a really good way to do it. And uh, I, I'd like, you know, kind of keep the competition going. I mean, I think we know, you know, Keaton's going to be uh, uh, be the guy. But uh, I think JT, I would just like to see that, that dynamic, uh, you know, play out. So, uh, so I, would like to, I would like to see them get plenty of chances and like to see all the receivers and all the running backs. I mean, you got a lot of people who – you know, you'd like to get on the field and get playing and, and, and just have people ready in case somebody goes down. So, um, so I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I think with Dan's point, you got to run a lot of plays. And I, I don't like the I – I wouldn't want to see if Slovis is a starter, JT Daniels coming in in the second quarter. But I want to see him come in when, you know, you got a three-touchdown lead and he can you know actually run some plays and do some things. I think that makes sense. If you're going to bring someone in as a change of pace guy, I think it would have to be Fink just because he brings a different element with the, you know, with his legs. But uh, I, that's just tough. I mean, I think you want to let a quarterback, you know, get in rhythm and, and keep running plays. It's just hard to come bring a guy in and out. But if you run a lot of plays and you get some some decent leads against some of these teams, I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. That wraps it up, boss uh, man. Nice. Well, we only went over ninety minutes. Holy cow! Wow. Mm. It was a lot, like 95 minutes. 
That seems like a there lot. There's some really good yeah. questions. I, I, I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, uh, you guys edited them down well, but uh, I thought there was some really thoughtful stuff. So good job. Yeah. Good job, questioner. people. Um, all right. Well, football is back. Football's I'm back. <laughs> I'm kind of bummed missing the first one, but whatever. You guys will. You guys can handle it. Nothing really happens, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And but... those non-padded practices in the rain. Oh, no. that will be a little rainy and stuff. Yeah. I'll be driving down to San Diego. Where this should be fun. Um, but the Jake Olson thing, I, we, I was down at uh, the Football Fanatics in Vista last week, and a lot of San Diego guys there, and they're all excited about it. I was telling them uh, how good a job Jake Olson does and uh, how much fun that ought to be for him. So uh, they're pretty excited about having Jake, uh, having Jake there. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to speak at a lot of events with him, and, you know, uh, it's cool. Uh, he's just he's just great. He's just a great dude to to talk with and stuff. His social media stuff is pretty funny. So really glad to see all of his success and uh, moving on. Someone that fought through, you know, the kind of pain and anguish that you could ne- I could never imagine. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's it's amazing how successful he's been. So props to Jake. Uh, and make sure you uh, get him to tell his uh, uh, Sark salute to Troy story. <laughs> oh, okay, you you gotta all right. I'm emceeing, sure so I can direct it however we want. I'll just tell him, <laughs> Jake, first yeah. off, we got to oh. talk about Sark and Salute to Troy. So, yeah. yeah start off yeah. with that. I'm sure it's a great, great icebreaker. But get him rolling. That's you know. an icebreaker. Yeah, that'll that'll get him going. He's just so good. I mean, he, he does this for a living now, but he's just so good uh, addressing the crowds and stuff. So, and all of his funny, you know, the funny tweets and everything when, so, you know, like a ref misses a call and he's, you know, there's something about, like, I could have seen that one. You know, there's, yeah. there's, he does a lot of good things. Good like, sense of humor. When he, I think when he jumped off the, uh, the 10 meter uh, platform, like after a uh, swim with Mike thing, you know, football players will go in the pool and they'll do the different events. And he jumped off like the 10 meter platform and they're like, you know, were you afraid? He goes, yeah, I just don't look down, you know? <laughs> so, you know. But just the thought of that, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you've got, you know, you can see, you know, when you're going to hit the water, <laughs> he, you couldn't possibly know when you're going to hit the water. I mean, that takes some, that takes some courage Yeah. because, you you haven't done it before. You have no idea how long that's going to take. I, I just that's amazing to me that yeah. he could do that. All right. Well, let's wrap things up. That is Keely, your Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you all for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 